Welcome to episode eight of Jesus and the Meteorologist. My name is Kevin Kukaji, and I'm your host. Our subject is discernment, and our aim is to teach, to elevate your minds, and to exalt your courage, to accelerate and animate your industry and activity, and to excite in you an ambition to excel in every capacity, faculty, and virtue. Our mission is to inspire young men and women and their parents to understand the present in order to prepare for the future, a task that necessarily demands a proper interpretation of the past. Our aim is to highlight the antithesis between the way of the Lord and the ways of the world, between the truth of Scripture and the opinions of men, so that we might reflect the light of life in a culture of death. As promised last week, we're going to continue our discussion of pretending has consequences. This week's episode could be named Superman on a Couch. Before we tickle that topic, however, let me remind you that if you have any questions about anything we discuss on this program, please send them to us at questions at icebergsnotsnowflakes.com. If that sounds like a mouthful and you are curious how we came up with such a peculiar address, you can hear about that and the sound of clinking ice cubes on episode 7. Now I'd like to elevate your minds for this discussion of Superman on a couch. When I was a boy, I used to pretend that I was all different kinds of superheroes. My sister once made me an authentic-looking Spider-Man costume with full head cover mask when I was in sixth grade. I used to actually hope that I'd get bitten by a radioactive spider so I could crawl on walls, ceilings, and swing from building to building on superhuman webs. But I also made up my own superheroes, using available miscellaneous materials and supplies from my parents' home. And then I would name each character accordingly. One of those original superheroes of my own invention, in particular, strikes me. A hero I called Lightning Man. Get it? Strikes me? Lightning Man? (laughs) My uniform consisted of long underwear covered by tidy-whitey-like underoos, a bath towel for a cape safety pinned to my neck, an eye mask covering pulled from an old Halloween Robin, you know, Batman's colleague, outfit, and a Captain America-like shield that I had found at a local junkyard, which I tailored to my own imagination, covering it with white paper and emblazing it with a bright orange bolt of lightning. I would then prance from room to room and couch to couch, pretending I was flying when, in fact, I was, as Buzz Lightyear once quipped, falling with style. I prevented an abundance of crimes and protected the security of the community inside the bubble of my parents' home and within the perimeter of their property. Never once did I get injured, nor did any danger overcome my powers. I was invincible. When we return, I'm going to invite our students to consider and comment upon their own childhood pretensions, the limits of those imaginations, and how it pertains to real life. You are listening to Jesus and the Meteorologist. There are citizens in Tennessee working to reclaim the practice of self-governance in our state and ensure that a constitutional, Republican form of government is preserved to future generations. We are Tennessee Stands. Do you want to get off the sidelines and learn how to stand for liberty in your community? Join us at TennesseeStands.org and on social media at Tennessee Stands. Welcome back to Jesus and the Meteorologist, a weekly squidget devoted to the topic of discernment. I am your host, Kevin Kukaji. We welcome back into our studio today our old friend, Lynn, 
1N, along with two new participants, also former students of mine, who, like Lynn, have adopted stage names for their own protection. So to my right is... Winnie. Winnie. And directly in front of me to the left of Lynn, one end, is... Katie. Katie. Welcome, ladies. Over the past couple of weeks, we've recorded a couple of all-boys shows. So to balance it out and maintain peak interest and energy today, and I think next week, right? Next week, we're going to do an all-girls program. So at this point, Winnie and Katie are probably wondering what in the world they're doing here, talking about superheroes, underoos, meteorologists... And icebergs, not snowflakes. So I advised Winnie and Katie in advance that they can catch up. Excuse me. I did not eat candy today. I've actually got a cold brought upon, I think, by our youngest daughter. I told Winnie and Katie that um, they can catch up on all of our bizarre metaphors and analogies by listening to some of our prior episodes. But today we're going to throw them into the deep end, for I know both of them. Uh, They were both excellent students and good sports, so I'm convinced they will make great participants as we enter the Offices of Hypothesis. And like all of our guests, Winnie and Katie are rooted in the Word of God, have proven their ability to withstand the heat of all manner of attacks against their positions without losing the integrity of their condition or the courage of their convictions. As such, they, like all of our other guests, are icebergs, not snowflakes. Ladies, are you ready to officially now enter the Offices of Hypothesis? Our hypothesis this week is, are you ready? Mm-hmm. Real superheroes don't wear underoos. I'll repeat it. Real superheroes do not wear underoos. Winnie, true or false? Hmm. I think probably true. Katie? I say false. Lynn? If you don't wear underwear, I don't trust you. I'm just saying. <laughs> that wasn't the question. The hypothesis is real superheroes don't wear under ruse. I actually have no idea what that is. All right. So for... I have an assumption. <laughs> so under ruse <clears throat> are, are underwear, but they're specifically superhero designed and colored. And they came out when I was probably mid-70s when I was young. Um, they, like Spider-Man under ruse, the t-shirt had, had the... Um, it looked like Spider-Man's uniform, and then the underpants, yes, they were tidy whities but they were blue and red. And then they had Aquaman, and it was his color, and then the Incredible Hulk undershirt had, like, a picture of the Hulk on it, and then the underpants were green. I mean, it was just, they called them underoos, and they were ridiculous, but that's what we, we wore. <clears throat> I remember being made fun of, actually, one time in elementary school when I wore my underoo t-shirt as, like, a regular t-shirt to gym class and then I took off the sweatshirt and all the kids were like, you're wearing underoos, you're wearing underoos. And I got as red as the the Spider-Man red. <clears throat> so I kind of matched my shirt. Uh, with that in mind, I will change my um, thing to tr- uh, you are true. Wait, real superheroes don't don't wear underoos. Okay, yeah. so let's start then with Katie. Why? Okay, so you say they don't. Why? Superheroes who are pretending and they have a special costume that they put on when they have to be a hero um have a normal life and in reality superheroes in our world are just like the leaders of our community the people who work with us who are our leaders and they don't have a special costume to put on their everyday um their everyday wear is their superhero costume as it were So superheroes maybe don't necessarily wear underoos. Mm-hmm. 
They don't okay. have to wear underwear yeah. if it's not their regular outfit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, that's a good answer, Winnie. I I agree. I think that um, the people who are all around us, they're leading us. They're the ones who are our heroes, and they don't necessarily have to have a special thing that they wear. Most heroes that I know um, are heroes all the time. And so maybe what you're saying is because I. I would imagine that you would not say, well, a policeman, a fireman, a doctor, a pilot who's required – a service member who's required to wear a uniform as part of the business. You're not disqualifying them because they're wearing, quote, unquote, underoos. Yes, true. But it sounds like what you're saying is their superhero status has nothing to do with what they're wearing. Yes. Exactly. Good answer. Lynn? I actually agree with what they said. Um, I would say, honestly, you can't, like, defend truth and justice if you're not being truthful and, you know, uh, having justice on yourself. All right. These, this is a good start for the conversation. So I asked you in advance, um, so we're completely transparent to our audience, that I wanted you to come with an example of something that you imagined. You heard me give my story of, of pretending that I was a superhero. Um, but I want to talk about this idea of pretension <clears throat> because although you are new guests, Winnie and Katie, when you listen to some of the other broadcasts and Lynn knows that um, when we talk about this idea of pretending having consequences, we distinguish between the good types of pretension by young children learning to become adults, right? I used to pretend that I was um, a businessman going to high school or going to junior high and I've told the story before about carrying a briefcase and wearing a fedora for a time period when I was in seventh grade. Um, <clears throat> although that looked ridiculous and I got lots of laughs, there was a good part about that and I was preparing for adulthood and I left it. I didn't continue to pretend that I was something that I wasn't. And we distinguish that from the bad type, type of pretension, um, which we'll get into a little bit later. Um, I won't sp spill the beans. I'll, I'll finish up at the end. But as context for that or framework, um, let's start with Lynn. Can you give us an example of something that you pretended when you were young and then what was it, what sequence of events or what circumstance caused you to stop pretending? Uh, yeah, so funny story. When I was younger, maybe like five years old or something like that, around that age, I seriously thought that I had two baby tigers with me all the time. They went everywhere with me and it was to the point where if you thought – that I did not have baby tigers, or you pointed out the fact that there was nothing there, I thought you were stupid, and that was just, that was it. What kind What kind of tigers? Uh, red tigers. Red? Red, like orange tigers. Orange. Just the normal tiger. Like Tony tiger. the Tiger. Frosted flakes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And anyway, things would happen, like I would freak out, like I would have an entire like, emotional mental breakdowns because they wouldn't get on like the elevator or something, like weird, weird things would happen. And um, I seriously thought they were there, and like it would it would get to the point where my mom would have to be like, okay, well, you know, they're gonna be here once we get off the elevator. They're just gonna meet us upstairs, and um, sometimes they did apparently, and then other times it'd be like, I'd be like, they're not here, and they'd come around the corner, and I'd be like, oh, they're there, and it was just like it was very dramatic. And well, how how long did this go on? This went on maybe about. Two years. And what caused it to end? Well, actually, I'm not sure. I think it, they either disappeared at some point or died. I don't know. They died. My brain was very strange. <clears throat> did you kill them or did they just die of natural causes? Or did your parents kill them? 
Probably all of those. <laughs> um, all right. So eventually, though, they died because you probably grew up and realized, ah, it's a little bit yeah. silly to be pretending I've got tigers around me. Okay. I'm going to shift to my right. Winnie, how about you? What, what did you pretend when you were younger and what ended that pretension? Well, when I was younger, I used to play orphans all the time. It didn't matter what kind of orphans there were. It was World War II orphans, Civil War orphans. We were on an Oregon Trail sometimes. We'd have a covered Wait, wagon that we said, made. <clears throat> you said Oregon Trail, not Oregon Trail, right? Like a trail yes. where they play the organ. No. <laughs> yeah, the Oregon Trail. Just caught my ear differently. Um, and so it didn't really matter what kind of orphans. I just like to have my own independence. And I think that it it was all throughout my childhood. But I think it mostly stopped when I, I, I grew up and I had a lot of younger sisters and brothers. So I ended up starting to have to take care of them more. And I helped them play orphans sometimes. But I kind of just was the mother sometimes for them. You seem to capture a lot of your imagination. It always took the form of being an orphan, no matter whether you're playing revolutionary war periods, whether it's something related to C.S. Lewis or Civil War or, as you said, the Oregon Trail. What was it about orphans that was so um, attractive? I think it was appealing that the orphans were like they were their own thing and I was the one in charge and – I didn't have, you know, I didn't have parents, so I was the one who made all the decisions for everybody in the group, and, you know, I had my own thing. So it was the independence, yes. I think you said, yeah, um, which I can definitely relate to, right? Most kids want to pretend they're—well, that's what, what I did when I pretended I was going to work instead of school in seventh grade. I'm in control of my own destiny until I got hungry for dinner. <laughs> <clears throat> um, Katie, how about you? I'm going to circle back around, but before I— bring a conclusion to my questions for Winnie. Yeah, well, Winnie and I are sisters, so we played a lot of the same things. Um, but I always liked um, doing um, like historical, kind of historical fiction kind of plays where, or sometimes I would even be um, a historical figure. So I always loved Deborah Sampson. So I would always pretend to be her. And for our audience, they need to know that Deborah Sampson is... Deborah Sampson was a woman in the Revolutionary War who was not allowed to fight, so she um, put on the clothes of a man and um, fought in the Revolutionary War. She was very brave. I always wanted to be just yeah. like her, so that was really fun. So what brought—the same thing I asked Lynn. What brought an end to your pretending, either in, in one particular instance or in general? What types of things would make you say, ah, it's time to stop pretending? Well, we would go outside for, like, the entire afternoon, and then we'd have to come inside to eat supper. And then we would want to go back outside and play some more. But sometimes it got dark. We got nervous. So we had to go inside to go into our own home and be ourselves again to go to sleep. But one time, we um, wanted to stay outside all night long. We decided—we have this, like, um, log cabin playhouse in our backyard— and we got our sleeping bags and we set everything up and our parents were a little like, okay, you can sleep out there. It's fine. But I just want to keep an eye on you. So they put the baby monitor outside. And so we went inside to eat supper and then we looked at the baby monitor monitor, and we saw a little mouse scurry across our sleeping bags. And we said, oh, no, we're not sleeping out there tonight. That's that's okay. We'll stay in here in our house. <laughs> yeah. So it's the reality, e even to children who are pretending there is a reality that sets in that makes us say, hmm, 
Time to stop pretending or the benefits of pretending are now outweighed by the necessities of reality, right? I want to um, close this particular segment before we go to audience questions by drawing your attention to a very dangerous form of pretending, <clears throat> a kind of wearing of underoos figuratively that I see in America today. <clears throat> and that is the pretending that communism is an acceptable or even preferred alternative to a free and civil society. The belief, and it's a utopian pretension, that all life should be ordered or could even be sustained by or surrendered to a self-appointed panel of unelected bureaucrats rather than left to the free and natural decisions of discerning citizens with shared values rooted in common knowledge of God and living according to his revelation. Like a boy playing Superman on a couch, too many Americans operate under the illusion that they are flying in a communist utopia when in reality they are falling with style inside of a system whose order has been long established by the blood of patriots. Like a boy playing Superman on a couch who pretends to defend his family against enemy forces and flies, air quotes, risk-free under the protection of loving parents who bathe him, provide his room and board, lock the doors at night, and keep him from jumping off the roof in his underoos and cape. The communist dream is only sustainable within the safe environment of a free and civil society. The communist can pretend that his ideas are good only within a structure held together by a shared belief that rights and privileges actually come from God where the role of government is limited to securing these God-given rights and where the government derives its just powers from the consent of the governed. As we've observed throughout the history of the world, communism, and actually any and all other forms of isms for that matter, that seek a godless, collective, authoritarian control of society and its people, if permitted to become the actual governing force, rather than just a mythical idea celebrated by professors, politicians, and media, enjoying the benefits and privileges provided by a constitutional republic, would end in the total destruction of itself, along with the total misery, poverty, and destitution of everything and everybody under its control, as surely as the great and present harm that would befall a boy dressed in Superman underoos and his family, if that boy were given actual responsibility to provide for his family, to defend his family's home, or if he were given free reign outside of the insulation of his parents' wisdom and protection to ascend to the roof of his parents' house in order to test the effectiveness of his little strap-on cape against the forces of gravity. For you see, ladies and gentlemen, like snowflakes which may sparkle when left undisturbed, communism is no match for the titanic forces of reality. When we return, we will take questions from our listeners. This is Jesus and the Meteorologist. So I wrote a little book all the way back in 2009 to address what was happening in America and what was likely to happen if we did not take corrective action. Unfortunately, too many of my predictions are coming true. The only surprise is the speed at which we have reached the precipice. The title of that little book is The Experts, and you can buy it on our webpage. Just go to JesusAndTheMeteorologist.com, click the image of the little brown book, and we'll send it to you for only $9.99. And then be sure to let me know what you think. Welcome back to Jesus and the Meteorologists. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and I am your host. 
If you have any questions from this week's program that you would like us to address in next week's episode, please submit those questions to questions at icebergsnotsnowflakes.com, and we will do our best to respond on a future episode. Okay, this week we actually do have two questions, although I think I'm probably going to combine the answer uh, into one because they are related. Listener asks, and I'll read them together and then I'll get you my answer. Listener asks, so what are we to draw from these stories of reality? What's the point of talking about reality setting in? And why exactly does communism never work and always end in destruction? If it, if it wasn't clear, and this is why I always like these questions because it gives me an opportunity to kind of summarize the point of the episode. Anytime a person pretends, what distinguishes pretension or what ends the pretension is always the natural setting in of reality. Um, and this is a good thing uh, because pre- we can't live in a world of pretension. Not only that, we cannot change reality. So it would be a very bad thing, for example, if, a, if we allowed a child to go to the roof and pretend that he is Superman from the roof, right? It's acceptable to allow your child to play Superman on a couch because there's no danger on the couch. Um, so reality is very, very good for keeping the pretension within the proper framework, right, as pretend. <clears throat> as it relates to communism, the same truth Uh, is evident and the same truth must be respected because the reality is the world does not work according to uh, plans that are put together by experts and held together by experts. If you want to look at the history of the world as to why communism fails, it's because communism tries to establish a system that is simply not consistent with human nature or the real order of the universe. And we can explain that in contrast to why the United States of America has historically been the most prosperous and free country in the history of the world. A lot of people don't like to hear the word. We especially get um, a lot of negativity in the media when we talk about what's called American exceptionalism or the superiority of the American order because people will say, well, Americans are no better than anybody else. Well, when we talk about the superiority of the American order – or American exceptionalism, as we have done in our classes, we're not talking about the American people being a better kind of people, right? People are sinful all the world over. We know that. The scripture tells us that, that man is sinful inherently from birth. So we're not talking about that. We also don't claim to have established a perfect form of government. We don't claim to have um, or to be a more compassionate people, right? Although the fact is, Americans are more compassionate than any other country in the world per capita, giving between 300 and 400 billion dollars per year to charities and nonprofits worldwide. But to focus on that misses the point. <clears throat> the reason that America has been the most prosperous and free country is not because of any of those things. It's because our order, founded as it was upon the understanding that we live by natural rights that are endowed by God, And they form a society which is simply more consistent with human nature and the real order of the universe, in other words, reality, than any other social civil order in the history of the world. It was the permanent problems of the human condition, what we Christians call sin, that led our founders to structure these enduring documents that were intended to um, inhibit man's sinful qualities, right? Ambition, avarice, greed. These things our founders knew, and if they didn't structure a government that restrained those things, 
then you have a society that goes afoul. So the, the reason that communism never works, <clears throat> number one, it's godless, right? It removes God from the equation and it puts government and government control then by man on the throne. Well, when you put sinful man on the throne, you are never going to have a society that is free and you're always going to have a society that becomes destroyed in and of itself because man's sinful man left to his own bidding and left to his own vices is going to destroy um, not only himself but everyone else in, in the path. <clears throat> so hopefully that explains to the listener why, why communism fails. And the reason we pull it into this conversation of pretending is when you hear a professor or media or the entertainment culture of our day celebrating communism as something good, the only reason it sounds good to them is because they're not talking yet about real communism. They're able to speak about it theoretically while living under all of the benefits that are provided by a God-centered society, right? Now, this God-centered society is crumbling and it's falling away and it's being decimated by the godless ideas of communism. Once those ideas are gone and not allowed to thrive, then all we're talking about is the pretension becoming the reality. And it will fail as surely as the boy who takes his pretension, his cape, up on the roof and jumps off the roof. That's what will happen. That's all the time we have today, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks again to our icebergs, our producer, Rachel, and to all of our listeners and supporters. In the never-ending battle for hearts and minds, we aim to find and develop young men and women who, like the men of Issachar, understand the times and who know what to do. And how can we know what we're to do unless we believe what is true? My name is Kevin Cookagee, and you've been listening to Jesus and the Meteorologists.